0: Well, good morning. It is a, a joy to see you guys on this Parents Weekend. Uh, my name is Trey Corey. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and we are grateful to have you guys with us. How many of you Aggies got your ring this weekend? Raise your hands. All right, a lot of you guys. All right, there we go. Well, congratulations, you guys. Uh, to you parents that are in town, uh, let me just extend to you guys a unique welcome. We are thrilled to have you guys joining us here on Parents Weekend, thrilled to have you joining us here at our Southwood College service, and so Uh, It is uh, our joy. It is our privilege to shepherd your students. And so it is the heartbeat of our church. It is the vision of our church to get to invest strategically into the college campus and into students. We often talk about if we win the campus, we can change the world. And so as we think about our church's investment in the Great Commission, our church's investment in the kingdom of God, it really is college students that we see to be one of our most strategic investments. We had a founding elder years ago who used to say that for many, in many ways that our college ministry was the tip of our spear. It was how we led against the kingdom of darkness. And so for us, your students are our heartbeat. I know they're your heartbeat. And so uh, we are grateful to get to shepherd them, grateful to get to love them. And so we have been walking through the book of Hebrews this uh, spring. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12. And as you're turning there to you parents, let me just uh, say to you guys, your students probably know this, but my wife and I are parents as well. So we have a little girl who whose uh, name is Caroline. She's almost six. We have a little boy named Colt who's almost three. And in our parenting dynamics and in our family life, kind of the newest thing for us is we've ventured into this whole new realm known as kids Sports. All right. Uh, So uh, I'll say for us as we've jumped into uh, girls uh, soccer, pre-K soccer to be exact, uh, my expectations weren't really that high in terms of the competitiveness, in terms of the athletic prowess. Uh, But I'll tell you guys, about a week ago we had our first game and uh, this is our picture of our girl uh, in the game. Uh, Caroline uh, is the girl middle of the picture. Uh, And if you'll notice anything about the picture, one, you'll see the tenacity and the intensity on the face. Second of all, you'll see that as one of her teammates goes down, fallen in the battle of soccer, she's been taught to press forward, right? (laughs) Don't pick up your teammate. Go get the ball and get it in the goal. And so uh, we've had a great time. Uh, We've had a couple practices. We've had one game so far. Uh, And In many ways, too, I've I've found myself, uh, even as a coach... Uh, finding (laughs) 10 seconds into the game about a week ago, the other team scored. And so all the warm fuzzies of this isn't about winning were gone in about 10 seconds. And I kind of had this competitiveness thing kind of welling up of like, we've got to score. Come on, girls. And so I start yelling. I start coaching my heart out. Um, And you will kind of see this picture. I am also one of the coaches. And so uh, this is my girl. You'll also notice uh, our main coach on our team is Jason Weezy Poppy, one of our pastors on staff, our assistant coach is actually Will Reed right over here one of our table hosts. And I am actually, I've kind of coined myself as the rookie coach among us, as the assistant to the assistant. And so I don't know if they are hazing me or what, but you'll notice here, I think they gave me like the women's v-neck shirt. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know what's going on. And so but in many ways, this whole kind of kids' soccer, kids' uh, sport thing has kind of been disorienting for me. Uh, in many ways, as I've kind of wanted to get into this, uh, you know, one game in, taking seconds in, I am I am in. I am I'm wanting us to win. I'm screaming at girls, cheerleading for them, wanting them to do the best they can. And I quickly had to remind myself that the game wasn't about me, like... Uh, that I wasn't actually in the game, that I couldn't actually make anything happen, I couldn't actually kick the ball, that I had to remind myself that this wasn't my team. This was our girls' team. This was their moment. This was their time. And my place, even as a coach, and especially as a dad, is on the sidelines. For some of you parents, as you parent students that are college age, you may find yourself in that place more and more and more. Realizing that really your students are making huge life decisions, that in many ways they seek your counsel, but in many ways you find yourself more and more in that coaching, more and more in that cheerleading place in life. What's really interesting for us as parents, uh, or, or for us even in sports, is that what we're going to find here this morning in Hebrews 12 is going to have kind of that same disorienting feeling. What we're going to realize in many ways that those of us that we thought that the game was all about are actually not the ones that are in the game at all. Uh, That really, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and as we looked at that incredible chapter, maybe one of the most famous in the book of Hebrews, one of the most famous in our New Testament, one of the things that we saw was that we saw the stories of these great, incredible men and women of faith. Uh, We saw what God did in and through them, and moments and stories that are legendary, that are epic, that are heroic of faith. And the most interesting thing as we jump into chapter 12 is that we realize as we jump into 12 that what the writer of Hebrews is doing for us in chapter 11 wasn't about them at all, that it was about you and I, that those that we thought were, the game was all about, it wasn't about them, that it was about someone different, that those that we thought all the focus was on were actually the very people that were in a coaching box or in the stands. And that the audience, those, the people that are in the game, so to speak, in chapter 12 are a completely different group of people. I want you guys to notice chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 to 3 this morning. Notice what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Chapter 12, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Chapter 12, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews gives a charge to his audience to let them know that they are in a race and they are to run this race with endurance. What the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapter 12 is letting you and I know that what our spiritual life is, this journey of faith, is very much parallel to a marathon. Not a short little sprint that's over in about two minutes, especially if you're like me, but it's a marathon. It's more than 26 miles. It's a lifetime. It's a journey in the entirety of our life of faith. And what the writer of Hebrews is going to call you and I, too, in the midst of this race, is that we would run it well, that we would run it with endurance, that it is about a marathon, so to speak. It is a call to endurance. And what the writer of Hebrews wants us to recognize about this call is three basic things. And the first we kind of get here in verse one, and it's this that our marathon has a stunning, stunning audience. I'll tell you guys, I uh, have had the opportunity to have some experience with marathons. Uh, I wasn't actually the participant in a marathon. Uh, But I was a cheerleader to my wife's marathon, all right? So uh, some years ago, uh, she had trained for six months, ran a 26-mile marathon in uh, in China at the time, and it was one of those life bucket moments for her, incredibly proud of her. And so I, through the course of that marathon, would take a taxi and kind of go to different places along (laughs) the—I know— along the route, and I would be there to kind of like cheerlead her on, encourage her, give her a banana, give her water, all Right. So I'll tell you guys, I, I uh, even though you're laughing at me, I really wasn't that embarrassed by the fact that I was a lazy tool taking taxis around uh, Shanghai at the time, all right? But here's kind of what got to me, all right? It wasn't even that, uh, even in the course of that marathon, it wasn't even that at one point I actually asked if I could have the headband that was around her ears, because I thought she had plenty of heat going on. It was a winter day, and my ears were cold. So I actually, at one of the pit stops, asked for her headband banner, right? I also wasn't embarrassed by the fact that as she's running 26 miles, I'm daydreaming about just wishing I had brought a chair. Like, could I just sit and wait? Like, this is just killing me. I actually began to daydream at one point if I could just get a foot massage because my feet were just killing me, all right? None of that embarrassed me. Honestly, n- not one bit. But here's what got me. At every single stop along the way, at every little sideline moment I had, what I got embarrassed by was who was on the sideline with me. Because at every single stop, every single time, I was the only guy. (laughs) Sisters, moms, girlfriends, wives, all right? I mean, it was all of the female persuasion as they were rooting on their men. And here I was rooting on my woman, all right? Now, nothing wrong with a woman running a marathon, all right? But what I realized in that marathon sideline experience was that for every woman that was running a marathon, there was her man right next to her, right? I was the only man not participating with a woman who was participating, right? So what I realized in that moment was that the marathon audience is incredibly vital, incredibly vital. They're there for encouragement. They're there to continue to cheerlead on in the midst of a marathon that is not easy whatsoever, but like Marcy's Marathon, as I stood on the sideline stunned by who was in the audience, so the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to recognize that the race that we're a part of has a stunning audience. So why he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding who? Us. Let us run the race that is set before us. That it is you and I who's in the race. But the question is, who are the great cloud of witnesses that surround us? Who's he talking about? Who's the most recent people he was talking about in the context of the book? It's chapter 11. It's the great heroes of faith. Everyone talks about Hebrews chapter 11 as if it's a great hall of faith, as if we're walking through a museum looking at these incredible portraits of men and women who have had incredible faith stories. And what the writer of Hebrews does here in Hebrews 12 is that he flips this script entirely to go that what he's wanting to draw their attention to is that it's not about their faith, it's about your faith and my faith. But the people who are actually in the race are you and me. And the great hall of faith, the great heroes of our faith in chapter 11 are not actually to be observed. They're the ones who are doing the observing and the cheerleading on for us. It's as if they're a spiritual 12th man who's rooting on their beloved Aggies, right? It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here in chapter 12. That you and I, our spiritual life, our journey of faith is like a marathon and the great heroes of faith are actually in the stands looking on at us as we're running our race and they're cheerleading us on. Incredibly stunning audience for our marathon. To realize that the great heroes of faith are there looking at us as we run and cheerleading us on. What does that mean for you and I? First, I'd say this to you students. I'd say this. This is your time. One of the reasons why we as a church love college ministry, one of the reasons why my wife and I love more than anything investing in college students is because you guys are at a stage in your life, you're making some of the most important decisions of your entire life. Who are you going to be? What are you going to love? Who are you, what are you going to do? Who are you going to marry? Will you walk with God or will you not? That right now, this is your time. This is your moment. This is your race. And the question is, how are you running the race Stop looking around you. (laughs) Stop comparing yourself to others that are running. And the question is, how are you running? This is your race. This is your moment. For you parents, I'll say this to you guys as a fellow parent as well. uh, I I, I think for you guys, especially with students that are in college, that more and more you're realizing you are in a coaching box or you are in a stands as a cheerleader. That your students are making big, big, weighty, uh, significant decisions. And more and more you may find yourself as a consultant and more and more you may find yourself on the outside looking in as they make decisions, decisions that you cannot determine yourself. And what would I say to that for you guys? I'd say this, cheerlead them on. Let them make mistakes. Let them figure it out themselves that you are going to release them post-graduation and Lord willing, they will be financially independent, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's your prayer. And that's our prayer, right? Uh, but they're going to take off. And when they take off, they're going to be making huge decisions with their life. And the question is, are they being trained up in such a way uh, to walk out post-college? And I think they are. I'll tell you guys as parents that one of the things that we see and one of the reasons why we love college ministry is I don't see a progression and a pace of life change in someone's life in any other phase of life like we see it in college. That the degree and the pace by which your students are changing, maturing, and growing is faster than any other pace or any other time or any other stage in the rest of their life. Which is why for you sometimes as parents, it may actually be hard to see the change. And so one of the things I'd say to you guys as parents is, listen, ask great questions. Give them room to change and to grow and to be different than you first thought they were going to be. Who they are now is different than what you saw a lot of in high school, and they are changing. And sometimes as parents, we can box them in and not allow them to change. Allow them to grow. Allow them to be different. Watch. Have your box broken about your own student. Second thing I say to you guys as parents is this, is that be learners of them. One of the reasons why we love students in our local church, one of the reasons why these families, these table hosts, have jumped into this opportunity to walk weekly with your student is because these students mature us, they challenge us, they push us time and time again. I cannot tell you the kind of passion that your students bring to our church and to our ministry and to our own lives. They stretch us, they teach us, they challenge us. And so I would challenge you guys as parents, be willing to be humble enough to be learners. Now, one of my favorite stories is of our receptionist here at Southwood, Her name is Pam Coke, and she came to faith because of her kids' faith. <laughs> that she learned about who God was, she learned about the nature of salvation from her own kids who were in high school at the time. To have the kind of humility, to have the kind of openness, to be moved and motivated by your kids takes an incredible amount of humility. But what we see in them, what we see God doing in them causes us to pause and listen and we learn from them as much as they learn from us. And so be humble enough to listen to them because what we see God doing in their life is huge, absolutely huge, And so uh, this marathon, for many of us, has not just a stunning audience, but here's the second thing I want you guys to see about this marathon. It's this, that it also has a suffering pace setter. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 2 about this marathon. After saying, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, he says this then, how do we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That in order for us to press on in this marathon and to finish it well, it is utterly vital that we keep our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. That he is, in a sense, a pace setter. He is the one who's out in front of us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says he is the author and he is the perfecter of faith. That if this spiritual life, if this journey of faith is a race, then as author, he's the one who, in a sense, shot the gun and started this journey of faith for many of us but he's also the perfecter. He's also the one who will bring this journey of faith to its rightful close and at its rightful time. That he is the one who starts it and he's the one who matures our faith. He's the one in the starting line. He's the one at the finishing line as well. But he's not just there as a leader. He's there as one who identifies with our experience, which is why the writer of Hebrews says this, that he is the one who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's interesting the role of a pace setter for many of us. Tell you guys about a month ago, we had an opportunity to spend a weekend with some families and had a great time with them. And our, our families and our kids we were doing all kinds of stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you guys one thing that my wife knows about me is I, I like to eat early. So uh, like the optimal time for me to have lunch is like eleven thirty, which. Hence, on Sunday mornings, it's a little hard, right? Uh, But I get really hungry, and when I get really hungry, I get really sad, tired, and angry. So it's just like kind of everything, okay? And so typically, when I like to eat, it's not that I'm even hungry. I'm just trying to get out ahead of the hunger because I fear the hunger, and I fear the fear of hunger. And so I like to eat preemptively to kind of get out in front of it, okay? So... You kind of understand. Then about a month ago, when we we're hanging out with these families, we we're all swimming, and we're leaving a place that we've been swimming, and we're packing up the car with our kids, and we're getting in the car at like 1 p.m., which. This means it's pre-lunch, which means I'm really not in a great place. Okay, so we're going to now head to lunch. And so we're going to head to this new barbecue joint in town that we're all excited about. I'm actually visualizing the meat now and in the moment. Okay, it was just so exciting, so, so ready to go eat. And so we're taking off a place we've never been. And the guy who's going to kind of lead us, uh, sweet couple we love to death, and they kind of tell us, here's where it's going to be. There might have been some misunderstanding about the location, but along the way, at least in our minds, I might not have heard well, but along the way, we lose sight of them as a lead car, okay? Completely can't find them, don't see them, don't know where we're going, okay? So now we're taking off with what was, in a sense for us, an understanding of where the restaurant was, which we must have misunderstood, and so we cannot find the restaurant. We've blown way past the intersection, and now we're in Bryan. Exits are closed on the highway, so we're roping, and it feels like it's just going to be 20 miles in 20 minutes before we ever get to lunch. Now, so in the midst of what was probably about only three minutes of actually being lost on a highway, and only about basically about three minutes of not actually having phone conversations with this couple, I began to imagine not only losing sight of them, but I began to imagine them sitting down at the restaurant and glutting themselves in food, okay? <laughs> so I'm hungry, I'm tired, I feel abandoned, I feel misled, and I'm imagining this sweet lead couple who's been driving out in front of us now just gorging themselves to their utter hunger's delight. And so at this point in time, I'm like, I'm done. I, I turned to Marcy, she knows that the, the bottom's about to fall out, I was like, I don't care, we're, we're not going to find the restaurant, I don't know that the restaurant exists, we're just, what we're going to do, is we're going to end up over here, the closest McDonald's I can find, and we're just going to eat, we're going to get fed, and I know the couples are waiting for us, but you know what, it doesn't matter, they abandoned us, we're going to go eat, all right? So here's the thing, when you have a pay setter that you've lost sight of, that you think can not identify with your experience, all hope is lost, right? Which is why... I was gone. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to continue to follow them anymore. We were going to do our own thing, all right? Which is why I think the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to recognize that you and I have to, in the midst of this marathon of faith, you and I have to keep sight of the person that is Jesus Christ. That it is absolutely imperative that you and I keep our eyes on him, and not just that we keep our eyes on him, but that what he wants us to see is that he is one who is acquainted with struggle and with trial. That in the midst of this journey of faith, in the midst of this thing called life that is like a marathon that is agonizing, painful, and difficult at times. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is that in order to have longevity in the midst of adversity, you and I have to remain with solidarity in the person of Jesus Christ. That it is solidarity with Jesus Christ that will allow for longevity in the midst of adversity. That when you and I lose sight of our pace setter, when you and I fail to realize that he is one who's acquainted with suffering, when we lose that solidarity with Christ, there will be no longevity in the midst of adversity. When the writer of Hebrews wants us to realize is that Jesus is not just the author of our faith who began this journey for us, but he's also the concluder. He's the finisher. He's the mature of our faith. And the only way that we get to the finish line well is if we remain focused and set in on who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And what the writer of Hebrews wants us to recognize is he brings us to the very crown jewel that is the gospel. And he says, look at what Jesus has done. Look at who Jesus is. That he's one who is of the very nature of God and he would leave the glories of heaven. He would take on human flesh, which was not easy, which was suffering in and of itself for him. But he would do it out of love and he would walk amongst us until one day he would go to a cross and he would be crucified as one who is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. And he would be crucified on a cross for us so that he could reconcile a humanity and a people who are sinful and imperfect back to a relationship with him. For the writer of Hebrews who he says in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your journey of faith, as it gets hard, don't believe that Jesus is unfamiliar with suffering. Don't believe that he's unfamiliar with what you're going through and the difficulty that you're facing, that he's one inherently and absolutely familiar with your experience. So don't lose sight of him. Keeping our eyes set on that pace setter is absolutely critical. That our longevity in adversity is always determined by our solidarity with Christ. No solidarity, there will be no longevity in adversity. That's what a marathon is. A marathon by nature is all about a question of whether you can get to the finish line. In many ways, there may be a stereotype of who wins marathons, but there is no stereotype of who finishes marathons, right? There's no distinction of gender. There's no distinction of age. There's no distinction of ethnicity, that those that finish have a certain stereotype and they have a certain profile, and it's this. It's the last thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to see is that those that finish have a surprising simplicity about them. The last thing I want you guys to see this morning is what the writer of Hebrews will say here back in verse 1. Notice he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run that race? It's three things. It's an awareness of the stunning audience we have, that, that incredible great cloud of witnesses. The second thing is it's a reminder that you have to keep our eyes set on the pace setter who's in front of us. And the third thing that we see is that it requires an amazing, surprising kind of simplicity. That's why he says lay aside every encumbrance. When I was there at the finish line waiting for my wife, Uh, I noticed uh, that as everyone crossed the finish line, they don't look very good, right? Uh, It's not a beauty pageant moment, right? Uh, But as they cross the finish line, I I do notice one thing, that there's an amazing simplicity about them as they cross the finish line. No one's crossing the finish line with crazy backpacks, right? Uh, No one's crossing the finish line even in jeans. Like everyone's got skippy shorts, skippy shirts. Like there's just any ounce that you're carrying that is unnecessary is gonna prevent you from finishing. So there's an amazing simplicity about marathon runners, Amazing simplicity, which is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to draw our attention to as we run this marathon, spiritually speaking, of faith to say, you cannot take extra baggage on the journey. You have to get a depth at getting towards simplicity and towards purity, which is why he says, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. You and I are quite aware of how impurity can actually shut us down and detour us from a journey of faith. But it's simplicity that I think is a little bit more shocking. Uh, for you students, if there is one spiritual vice that is the most celebrated, it is the most lofted, it is the most exalted, it is that of busyness, right? How much can you stack into your schedule? How busy can you outbusy your friend? How exhausted can you be by April? Like that's like a badge. Like we kind of wear it right now, right? Like I'm just so tired. Like I, I slept two hours. Oh, you slept three. Well, you're clearly not as busy as me, right? We just kinda <laughs> it's just kind of some sick thing we do, all right? Uh, so we love busyness, but the, the flip side of that is what we are unwilling to embrace is simplicity. We're unfamiliar with simplicity. Some of you girls maybe actually uh, have the magazine Real Simple, but it's just an illusion to you. Like, you don't know what that really looks like. You know, that's why you kind of get the magazine. You're like, this isn't my life. Maybe I can find something else that will be simple, but that's not my life, right? Uh, and so for many of us, simplicity is a foreign concept. It is an unsure idea. And really what I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to us when he says lay aside every encumbrance, that there are distractions, there are things that are unnecessary, that as we pack them on and as we put them on our shoulders, it actually prevents us from remaining focused on this journey and getting to the end. Some things are just unnecessary. Uh, Incredible book, some of you uh, people may have been reading a, a book called The Best Yes, Making Wise Decisions in the Midst of Endless Demands, which feels like college to me. And making wise decisions in the midst of endless demands, there's just always something else one could do. Uh, The lady who writes it, her name's Elisa, she says this, I'm going to kind of read this quote to you, it's kind of long, but I want you guys to think about decisions that you make, commitments that you make, things that you jump in, and listen to what she says here. She says, imagine this opportunity or this decision that you're looking at as an amazingly attractive but fast-moving river. There is so much that looks extremely appealing about the river, and you're going to be tempted to jump right in. But once you're in the river, you, are dim- you have diminished your ability to make decisions. That river is moving so fast that it will take you where it is going, and if you haven't carefully traced out in advance whether you want to go through into the places that river flows, you will be in trouble. That quote and any kind of river analogy just makes me think about the way that we often talk about just trying to stay afloat or we're just trying to keep our head above water, <laughs> like, uh, That's a normal phrase that we have, but it also betrays us to show we've drifted toward busyness and not toward simplicity. That we've spread ourselves thin, that we're just drowning, we're just trying to stay above water, that we've not embraced simplicity. Instead, we've thrown ourselves into a multiplicity of rivers that are moving in multiple directions, and we have no idea sometimes where they're taking us to or how we make a different kind of decision (laughs) or what we do now. And so it's April, and we're like, I don't know how I'm going to get to tomorrow. <laughs> like, I just don't know. Anxiety is rising. Uh, the sense of what all that you have to do is rising. And so in the midst of that moment, what I want to remind you is, as you're making commitments, looking at next year, leave margin. <laughs> leave space. Don't overcommit yourself. Commit to a few things and do them well. What does simplicity look like in a series of ways? I want to give you guys, as we wrap up this morning, uh, if simplicity is something absolutely necessary for us to finish this journey of faith, if it's not just a, a neutral life skill, then how does simplicity look in the midst of our time, our treasure, and our talent? I want to kind of give you guys three basic takeaways this morning on that idea. What does is, what is simplicity look like if we embrace simplicity as, a, as regards our time? What would that look like? How would that be? Well, fir- first, I think uh, as regards our time, it would mean that you commit to less things. That you choose to do a few things and you choose to do them well such that there's actually margin in your calendar, there's margin in your life. That if you're in that place where you're just trying to keep your head above water, there's no way for you to reflect, there's no way for you to process, and there's no way even for you maybe to respond to a need that the Lord presents and puts right in front of you. Because you've so thrown yourself into a multiplicity of rivers that there's no way to respond to something that the Lord may have for you. So I want to challenge you as you kind of get to this point in the spring, and as you're looking at next year, commit to go, hey, I'm applying for things right now. I'm looking at what I'm going to do next year, but choose to do a few things and choose to do them well. It's interesting. Freshmen typically kind of figure out a few things they want to jump into. Sophomores then jump into more. Juniors are like running campaigns. They're like way overcommitted. They realize the error of it and the foolishness of it, and by senior year, they kind of taper back, and they pull back. They go, this wasn't so necessary. They kind of embrace a greater kind of simplicity. So if you're in that sophomore junior year, you're looking towards it and you go, I'm going to do everything. No, no, no. That's not wisdom. That sometimes you're taking things onto your shoulders that are like backpacks with bricks. There's no way for you to actually keep a sustainable pace in life. You're going to crush yourself. You're not going to make it to the end. Are you living a life right now that is sustainable? Are you living in the kind of pace of life that is going to leave you disillusioned, burned, and broken You've got to build in mar- margin. You've got to build in space to walk well with the Lord and to not carry everything. Second thing, what does simplicity look like if it embraces our talents? I think sometimes this is where we kind of get ourselves into trouble as well, that if simplicity as it regards our talents, here's what it looks look like. Every time that we see a need, we don't necessarily feel like we have to be the one to fill it. Sure, there's needs that exist everywhere, but when our talents are not used with simplicity, what ends up happening is that we believe we're the savior for everything that's out there which is probably why your time doesn't look so simple, right? You've said, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, or I'm the only one that can do that, so I'll do all of these things, and all of a sudden you become Jesus, right? And you're suffering, right? You're like, therefore it seems spiritual. No, 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 right? It's not wisdom. It's not wisdom at all. Lastly, treasure. What would it look like for you to embrace simplicity with your treasure or with your money? I I think for many of us, we have a tendency to not live underneath our means, And for you students who are definitionally poor, right? (laughs) You're like, I I got simplicity with my money because I have none, right? (laughs) I got that one check. You got nothing on me, right? What I'd say to you guys, actually, that's not true. It's an illusion that you're poor. You spend more on discretionary things than my wife and I have because we have to pay for things that don't seem discretionary, right? Like insurance. That's really fun, Right? I don't have as much money to go to the movies as you do, all right? You have actually more discretionary income, some of you, uh, than you may think you do. And so some of you guys have loans, some of you guys are in jobs, so I realize you're not like just rolling in money. But I really would push against you to say there actually may be more financial margin than you realize. So are you living underneath your means? How could you actually invest your resources, even financially, into something beyond yourself? Uh, you know, uh, one of the great things that's coming up in come August is that we'll be launching a third site. Uh, it's our Creekside campus. And so some of you guys who might have been in Maine, Service got to hear about it. Southwood launched about eight years ago, uh, actually about seven years ago this upcoming fall. And so our Anderson campus, where Grace Bible, is going to be celebrating an anniversary, a 50-year anniversary coming up, in which we've seen God continue to do so many amazing things, not just in this town, but through this church as well, especially on the college campus. And so, as the Lord was doing things, we launched Southwood back in 2007, and now we've kind of felt the Lord's called us to move forward in a fresh way and in a new stretching way with what we're calling our Creekside campus that's going to be in South College Station, which I call SoCo, which doesn't seem to be translating for anyone, all right? I just think it sounds hip, and I like it. Yeah, we'll be out in SoCo. It's kind of like SoHo, but different, you know. We're trendy here in College Station, right? Okay, we're not, but I'm trying, right? So, but really, as we're kind of jumping out, it really for us is a, it's, it's something that we are kind of thinking out, and have been thinking a lot about legacy, like what is the legacy that we're going to leave for the next generation? For you students, you've been blessed in immeasurable ways, and the question is, what is it you're going to leave behind? What is it you can leave behind? How is it you can invest your life, not just your time, not just your talents, but even your treasure, in something that you can leave behind you? Uh, for you parents, I'd say this, that for you parents, you've invested the single greatest commodity you have that can be a blessing to our church, and it's your student. Like I said, as we opened, uh, the investment of your student and their presence here in our church, it is not just our heartbeat, but it is so much of what God is doing in our church. Students are serving in every ministry in our church. Students bring about a passion and a vision for our families that lost their sense of what God is doing, not just in their life, but even in our church and in our community. And so your students are one of the greatest investments you guys can make. Second thing I'd say, and the thing I kind of throw out to you guys as well, is is that you could also help us leave a legacy behind for the next generation of students. Uh, That if you would feel led, you can simply pop on our website, you can simply give toward what we call our legacy fund. And so what we're looking at with our legacy fund is what God is calling us towards in the future. That includes our Creekside campus, it includes other ministries, other opportunities we sense him still calling us to even more. And so we would love for you to simply prayerfully consider, would you be willing to give financially and kind of what God is doing here? You may notice the reality of our church. Uh, About 5,000 attend on a Sunday morning between our two campuses, our main services and our college services. Over half of those that attend are college students, which means there's some different financial realities about how we do church and what that means. And so if you would feel so led to give financially as parents, hey, we would love that. Not just for you guys as parents, but for you students as well we'll continue to challenge you that giving is a part of how you walk with God. Giving is a part of your investment in the local church. And so the amount doesn't matter, but building that discipline, building that financial simplicity in your life is huge. What would it look like if you went with one less latte this week, right? I love me a good cinnamon dulce latte, right? What if we went with one less coffee this week? What if we found ways to live below our means so we could give and invest our resources in what God is doing you and I are part of a spiritual journey that has a surprising, uh, surprising and stunning audience, that has a suffering pace setter, and it requires a surprising kind of simplicity. Our heartbeat for you guys as students, we say it all the time, I want you as parents to hear this as well, is not just that you guys as students would walk with the Lord well while in college, but our heartbeat and why we've connected you guys with families here at Grace so that you can see what goes after college, because we want you guys to walk with the Lord well for a lifetime that this is just maybe lap one of your spiritual journey and we want to see you walk well with the Lord for a lifetime, post-college, into family life, into careers, and into whatever God is going to have for you, which is why we have this kind of church experience uh, which students are connecting with families. That's our heartbeat for you guys. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, that you and I have a race that is set before us. And the question is, not just how are we running now, but will we run it to the finish line with endurance? Will we finish well? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for these table hosts. I thank you that you have given us an example and a picture of those that are running a couple of laps out ahead of us. Whether that's in a career or whether that's in family life, Lord, that we get a picture not just of these table hosts, but for some of us, even our parents, of what it looks like to walk with God. Often not a perfect example, but an example that is just laps out ahead of us that helps us to see what it looks like, not just in college, but what it looks like to walk with you for a lifetime. Lord, I pray this week, Lord, as we walk through finals, as we walk through one of the busiest stretches of the year when we're tired, Lord, I pray that you would keep our eyes set on the person of Jesus Christ, uh, a reminder that he is one who's acquainted with suffering, that he's not unfamiliar with it, that he knows it well, and that he identifies with it even in our own suffering, even in our own struggles and our own trials, some of which we've brought on ourselves and some of which we haven't. And I pray that you would give us endurance this week, that you'd give us endurance up and through finals, Lord, to finish this semester well, keeping our eyes set on Jesus Christ, reminded and encouraged by those that are around us that have invested themselves in us and also embracing a kind of simplicity that allows us to finish and run for a long time. Lord, we love you. We ask that you'd move in our lives, that you would do things in our lives beyond anything we can imagine. Again, we thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he is the author of salvation. That he, gave his only, that he gave his only life for us, that he would shed his own blood on a cross so that we could be reconciled to him. And not on the basis of merit, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of what he did on our behalf as those that were broken, as those that were poor, who had offered nothing, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Not on the basis of works, but on the basis of grace. And so, Lord, I thank you that you've brought us into a relationship for those of us who know you by the death and the resurrection of your Son. And Father, I pray for those of us who do know you, Lord, that you allow us not just to start well, not just to run well in college, Lord, but to run well for a lifetime, to run this race with endurance. Getting rid of sin, getting rid of distractions, Lord, focus and zeroed in on what you've called us to do and what you've called us to be. Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. We pray. Amen. All right, the rest of your time is at tables as we have discussion kind of about the talk and about Hebrews 12. It's great seeing you guys as parents. would love to interact with you guys even a little bit more after the service. And so again, thank you guys for being here with us. We'll hopefully get a chance to talk a little bit more after the service. You guys have a great rest of the weekend.